Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. This week we'll be debriefing Strada Bianchi, talking all things gravel, gradients, and watts from Italy's finest one-day race. Joining me, as always, is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? Let's start, first of all, by uh, getting an update on that ankle of yours. Uh, yeah, good evening, everyone. Um, it's fine, to be honest. Uh, we probably overplayed it last week. Uh, I did go and get an x-ray. And they said it's not broken. It was very, they said a lot of swelling on the ligaments, but it's just soft tissue stuff. So I'm fine. You almost, Thanks for asking. See, I remember when I was a kid, uh, and I used to break bones a lot playing football and the likes and falling off bikes. And you almost want it to be broken to validate the pain and suffering you've gone through. <clears throat> oh, I did. Especially at the moment, I felt like I'd just taken up an hour's an hour of, you know, some nurse's time in the middle of a global pandemic when she probably could have best been served not looking at my foot <laughs> um that's good then but i mean i imagine you had your feet up on saturday anyway watching the cycling i hope so anyway you're yeah, doing a uh, podcast on it right now yeah yeah no i've done my uh <laughs> the necessary revision uh, of course and even though it's not a monument i did still watch it we're not getting back into this. Uh, we ran a Twitter poll that, you know, we've got we got an overwhelming response to it. And I think about 70 something percent said it deserves to be a monument. So I don't know why you're still trying to fight your corner on this one, Tom. So that's it. That's the official position of the podcast. Everything you read on Twitter is true. Yeah. And I think I, I don't know how many votes <laughs> on a Twitter poll you need for it to be taken officially to Parliament for debate. But I, I think we might be there. I think we might be getting sidetracked as well. So I'm going to talk about uh, Chantel Vandenbroek Black instead, if that's all right. Go ahead. Um, I just want to say tactically, I think it was a brilliant performance from the SD Works team. Um, it reminded me a lot of what, well, they were Sunweb, they're now DSM. But I thought it was very similar to the way they took their stage wins at the Tour last year, where <clears throat> they knew they had two or three very capable riders. Um, who just one after the other can spring these attacks and whichever one of them manages to make it stick gets to take the win. And that's why, um, you know, you see Anna van der Breggen coming across the line in third in the world champions jersey when everyone expected her to be probably the team leader. And in this case, she was able to sit back, play the decoy role and let one of her teammates go up the road and take the win instead. But you see, I don't... I. It's very hard to gauge what they're doing on the road. And I don't know how much of it they're calling on the road. Because I mean, last week, well, last episode, we spoke about SD Works and their tactics and how they usually send a decoy up the road. And then they do like a one-two kind of slingshot, send Anna Van Abregen off yeah. when she's ready to go. This time it was completely different. I was watching with somebody and I was like, right, this time, this is where, you know, Van der Bregen will come round this person, will come round Van Brooklyn in that situation and go off and win it. And Vandenbroek like just put the hammer down and went off herself. It was like a reverse yeah. decoy situation. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if the other teams tried to call the bluff for once and said, no, we won't chase uh, because they've obviously fallen foul of it too many times before. But I mean, this is obviously no, not to discredit Vandenbroek Black either because she's a cracking rider. Um, and I think that is just when you've got a team that strong, you've got so many um, different options you can take to go for the win. I get the important doesn't, if you're the director sportive, 
you're not really bothered which of your riders wins really are you as long as one of them does see and this kind of reminds me of the way it's very reminiscent of the way <clears throat> to Koenig quick step race in the men's peloton as well in the sense that they know they've got Sam Bennett for the sprint but if it's you know windy at the end or something they can send Remy Cavagna off the front or they can send Alaphilippe off the front with 30k to go like they have a number of dis- different situations they can play out as the race evolves or just get Askreen to drive it for 50k <laughs> But yeah, I think I think they were kind of what what it seemed to me at the time, and I haven't really seen much talk about it. Is it seemed to me that as soon as Elisa Longo Borghini joined Vandenbroek Black off the front, and they got what a good 10, 15 seconds on the rest of the bunch, I think at that point Chantal Vandenbroek Black was then thinking, I'm going to have to go, you know, in a two with Elisa Longo Borghini here and stay away because if we get caught, we never know what's going to happen. But here we've got a 50 50 we've got a fifty percent chance of winning. I, don't, I think that's brave, especially when the two of us had predicted Longo Borghini to win. And when you've got that vote of confidence, that must have been weighing on the shoulders of Vandenbroek Black. If, if she, obviously, she'd been listening in the build-up to the race. Yeah, and I think yeah. Longo Borghini was obviously under a lot of stress to fulfil our predictions because you could see her screaming over her shoulder at um, Vandenbroek Black, asking her to take a turn, um, yeah. which she refused to do. And I imagine that was team orders that she was getting in her ear saying, don't take a turn. We need you to be fresh in case Anna joins you and you need to help her. Um, but in the end, it just meant that she could power up the climb. Yeah, well, that, that's the prerogative, isn't it? When uh, when you've got teammates behind, I guess, it's probably the onus is not on you as much to uh, to take a select group, well, a select two up the road in this case. Mm. Um, let's talk about that climb then. I think it is just the most picturesque Beautiful climb. The one up the Via Santa Caterina, is that what it's called? I believe it is, yeah. You're the resident Italian speaker here, so uh, yeah, but I run I, everything I, by you. I have never been to Siena, though. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. I feel like that climb specifically, and also the race in general with all the gravel sections, you can almost take a picture on a three megapixel Motorola flip phone and still have an image worthy of being put in a frame. It's the most beautiful race I know. <clears throat> it is lovely. On, on a dry day, when, when it rains, that race is disgusting. But um, <laughs> on a dry day, when the, with the dust being kicked up, it, it's uh, obviously just going through these vineyards, even if it is Chianti, which is the worst glass of wine I've ever had in a bar in Milan. Um, it's very picturesque going past the vineyards, isn't it? It's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah. And I mean, we've been treated to some incredible photos of Van der Poel up that final climb with the power he was putting out. You can almost see it coming through the screen as I was looking, as I was flicking through the pictures. Was that not the most explosive attack you have ever seen? It's just unbelievable. I don't know. There's, I've never seen a rider like him. And with every race, he just seems to, you know, with every scalp he claims, he just seems to grow more powerful. Um, <laughs> that sounds like like an evil villain in like a yeah, Marvel it, it film. is like an evil villain he's just sucking the energy out from everyone he beats yeah uh, that's it he's taken julian alaphilippe now um because well, i mean it was interesting in the um post-race interview where he said that julian had said to him that his legs weren't good and that's why he wasn't taking as many turns uh in that group of three and that actually bernal was probably the main threat but <clears throat> bernal just isn't it's not really, you know, Bernal has grown up in the Andes on 50 kilometer, like shallow climbs, not a 1K explosive steep one. He held his own though. He did. I mean, he's a very accomplished rider, isn't he? But he's just not, 
<clears throat> really. It's a sort of horses for courses thing, isn't it? Uh, you mentioned horses there. I've got a very poor segue. Kind of paleo-based. But um, did you know, and I've got the number figures here, and I'm not going to bore you with them because I feel like they've been thrown around so much on Twitter today and yesterday and whatever. Um, Matthew van der Poel's peak power was 1,362 watts. That is... Outrageous. 1.8 horsepower. That's... No, surely that's more than... Well, obviously it's more. It's 1.8. He can't be the same as 1.8 horses. Yeah, apparently. Is that that genuinely what it means? I've always believed that, but I I thought that might be like... One of those fake things that people just believe. I had assumed that's what horsepower means. No, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Well, let's go with it. Um, I've got some more information about Matthew van der Poel's watts because I know a lot of people enjoy the watt chat. So we're going to do a brief two minutes on this. Uh, peak power, 1,362 watts. Average over 15 seconds, 1,105 watts. Now, for a lot of people who don't follow the watts in cycling and don't know what that means... Let's put it into perspective. Okay, Tom? Yes, please. Right, I'm going to play a very quick, short game that I've prepared for you. And it is, what is more powerful? What spelled W-A-T-T? What is more powerful? Okay. Yeah, I know. And yeah, yeah, very, that's the pun. Mathieu van der Poel in his peak power, so 1,362 watts, or a common kitchen appliance that I have looked up earlier today. Question one, the Dualit four-slice toaster from John Lewis, retail price, £200. Um, is Matthew van der Poel more that... or less powerful? He is more powerful than that. You don't need that many watts to power a toaster, surely? He's less powerful than the toaster. Is he really? Yeah, the four-slice toaster of... is 2.2 kilowatts, So, and he's 1.3 oh. kilowatts. Um, okay, because... Like most microwaves are like we'll get, we'll 700, get 800. Hey, we'll get on to microwaves. Yeah, I, I thought they were kind of light bulbs are like 80, aren't they? Um, yeah. The Bosch Series 4 microwave retail price, £419. A £419 microwave or Matteo van der Poel? Or Matteo van der Poel on a £12,000 Canyon bike. <laughs> uh, that- he's more powerful than the microwave. Correct. The microwave is 900 watts. That was um, a, it's a Canyon bike with custom handlebars because he broke the last pair as well. That's yeah, I was surprised to see them intact after uh, yeah, the Yeah, apparently. I'm, I'm sure I saw something that said uh, they have been sort of reinforced or something now. <laughs> I imagine the sponsors were kind of scrambling after that happened because that was a big publicity thing where suddenly yeah. their handlebars have been snapped uh, and now they've got him putting out you know, more watts than a uh, Bosch Series 4 microwave. So I guess they can use that as a tagline in the... Arc- in the, that's, uh, the advert, in the- that's the advert, yeah. Exactly. Final one. Nutribullet Blender in Space Grey. Retail price, £99.99. It has two speed settings with pulse function. Right. A blender... I would say that's got to be le- less. Vanderpol's more powerful. Vanderpol's more powerful than a blender. Yeah. Nutribullet blender in space gray uh yes yeah you're right he is the blender is one kilowatt um so yeah essentially there's the numbers for you um that's a nice way to understand it i think because sometimes these numbers just look like scribblings on a page 
That's the perspective everyone needs. Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like they should do more of this coverage on the TV. Like, or you know, when... it's like, if you're doing my maths of a light bulb being like 80 watts, then it's like 15 light bulbs. Um, I wanted to say a bit more about Matthew van der Poel here. Um, what I like about Matthew... So I've, I've actually come round, Tom. You'll appreciate this. <clears throat> I'm no longer so adamantly team Wout van Aert. Matthew van der Poel has won me over a bit with his win. Um, he animates races just for fun at the most unexpected moments. You could be on a random gravel sector and he'll attack. And then obviously it was a bit expected on the, uh, on the final climb, but he just, you just can't telegraph when they're going to happen. Um, I, had, I saw a tweet from Thomas Degent, which I want to read out if I can find it. He said, uh, as a cycling enthusiast, I will have some great years ahead of me watching races on TV. As a cyclist, I will have my worst years ahead of me having to race <laughs> against all those young Watt bombs. I think that's why I like him so much. And you, I think his initial attack, as you said, was unexpected. I think everyone thought that he would wait possibly until the final climb, but maybe he didn't want to go there. And yeah, I mean, you and I actually both said we were obviously messaging each other as this was happening. And when that, those three... Uh, escaped off the front. We both said, I think Alaphilippe's got this. Yeah, oh, we're such frauds, Tom. Um, <laughs> and the worst thing is we put it down, you know, not in writing, but whatever this is, in audio. So anyone can come back and listen to our fraudulent predictions. And even when... Well, both my predictions came second this weekend. Where did your prediction for the men's race come? Roman Bardet came somewhere in the 20s. Um <laughs> Longo Borghini, I went with, with you on that one. So, you know, we can and concede I, I that was back, okay. I did back Lulu in the men's. Yeah. Um, who else did I say? I said Tim Wellens as an outsider. I have no idea where he came. He wasn't really mentioned. No, I didn't see much of him at all, actually. Well, I'm sure him and Roman had a nice day out making me look like an idiot. So, fine. Whatever. If that's how they get their kicks, then by all means. Someone has to do it. Yeah. Um, right. Stradibianchi. Done and dusted. Do you get it? <laughs> nice. For the time being, until next year. Yeah. Um, let's have a talk about the races that are on the box at the moment. So we've got Paris-Nice. Um, not sure how much we want to get into that one because we've had two flat stages in a short time trial. Well, I know what I want to get into when we're talking about Paris-Nice, and that is my boy, Case Ball. <laughs> Let me offer a bit of background on this. We did a fantasy Tour de France thing last year, and Tom, for, was it for Tour de France or was it for the Vuelta? Was it for the Tour? It was the Tour, it was the Tour, yeah. And for some reason, well, you decided to persevere with Case Bowl as your sprinter in the team. He was a really cheap sprinter. Yeah. For good reason. <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> um, he just won, he came nowhere near. He was um, obviously channeling his inner cockard. And, um, you know, just liked being in the mix, but didn't really want to be, you know, in the pictures at the end. Well, uh, he's won a race. About, he's won a race. You say that. Brian Cockard, Case Ball comes first. Cockard was fourth yesterday as well. So... Overperforming. <clears throat> I have... Um, I've seen that finish, and it was really impressive from Ball. He had quite a gap on the rest of the field. He's burnt off Pedersen, Bennett, uh, Cockard... <laughs> Um, <laughs> don't, don't put them in the same league <laughs> and uh, it, it was a really impressive sprint he looked um, very conscious and he did say that um, 
he's had a difficult start to the season and now he's found his legs, I think we might be seeing a few more victories from him. And he'll certainly be up there because the sprint the day before, um, which Bennett won, I don't think Ball made the top 10. So it was a big, uh, big comeback from him on the second day. It's a, it's a tough one to judge at the moment with these early races because obviously they're not going to be at their best. They're not going to have their main lead out guys in front of them. Um, and also, I think a lot of people are forgetting Caleb Ewan's not at this race and he's, you know, top really two quick. with Sam Bennett. He's very fast. Yeah. And yeah. another person that I definitely keep forgetting, and I think a lot of people as well, is Dylan Gronewagen. Mark Cavendish. Not Mark Cavendish. <laughs> Dylan Gronewagen, who essentially was in that top three before he got banned. Um, I'd say he was, I, I thought Gronewagen was the quickest of them all, to be yeah, honest. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the other race that which starts tomorrow uh, is Cannot the wait. T- Terreno Adriatico. <clears throat> it is. And this is one of my favorite races, mostly because I spend as much of my life as possible on the Adriatic coast of Italy. And so, and <laughs> well, as you know, every time a race goes over this particular stretch of road, uh, through Norcia and Castelluccio, which is where I was last summer, I message you and say, this is absolutely stunning. They should do a bike race up here. And since I've been there, Tirreno went over it last year. It is on the map for the Giro when that comes around in a few, six, eight weeks' time. When's the Giro? May, whenever it normally is. And it's just stunning and I can't wait to... And all the roads... Um, between the Tyrrhenian and the Adriatic Sea, I think are just lovely. Yeah, beautiful. That was a really nice ode to the uh, Tyrreno Adriatico. It doesn't usually get those sort of accolades, so I'm nice. It's nice for you to uh, to do that. It probably not, no. But there's more as well because obviously I have designed a quiz for you, and <laughs> unlike my quiz about the tour of the UAE uh, a couple of weeks ago, I haven't delved that deep into the uh, into the background of the well there's a bit but right can I just I just hope there's a bit less on sheikdoms and naming <laughs> the historic components of whatever the Tyrrhenian and Adriatic provinces or something well I did whatsapp you in advance telling you to brush up on the fall of the western roman empire but you'll be glad to, you'll be glad to know that none of that made it in what a relief so Question one, this is multiple choice. So, oh, fantastic, right. Yeah. Of all the riders on the start list for this year's Terreno Adriatico, I would like to know who has appeared in the most Grand Tours. Is it... Um, oh, okay, go on. Yes, yeah, so multiple choice. Yeah. So is it, is it Robert Hessink, Vincenzo Nibali, or Domenico Pozzovivo? <laughs> Um, right, let's think. So I've got I, the numbers here, and it's quite close. So. Is it? Yeah. See, immediately. Do you, want, do you thinking, want the numbers? If I give you the numbers. No, 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 no. Immediately, okay. I'm thinking Nibali, but I think you've thrown Nibali in there as a red herring. Um, surely Domenico Pozzavivo hasn't done more grand tours than Vincenzo Nibali. I'm going to go Nibali. Correct. Go with your gut. That's what yes. you've got to do. Great stuff. Uh, Robert Hessink has appeared in 20 Grand Tours. Uh, oh Dominico Pozzovivo, Dominico Pozzovivo in 21. 
and uh, Nibali has taken part in 25. 25 grand tours. Right, do the maths. Yeah. 25 times three, 75 weeks of grand tour bike racing. It's the equivalent of riding three, all three for eight years. And then one more. Wow. Yeah. Rather him than me. So <clears throat> it's a long career. But okay, question two. And there are a few points available here. There are five former winners of Tirreno Adriatico in the field for this year. Name them, please. Simon Yates. As you can. Simon Yates. Simon Yates is there. Um, Last ah, there's more. Nibali's probably won it. Nibali's won it twice. He is one of them. Yep. Yeah. yeah. 2012 and 2013. Five different people, five different winners. <clears throat> five different winners. Between them, they've got seven victories. Yates. Nibali. So there's another two-time winner in there. I think... Did Ineos win it last year? Did Bernal win it last year? No, Yates won it last year. Oh. Well, Bernal wouldn't have won it the year before. Who won it? I'm trying to... Because they win that Trident if they win it. I'm trying to think of who I've seen with the Trident. Did Mikhail Kwiatkowski win it? He did. Okay, in, right. In 2018. Now we're playing. Um, Balkin Molimo, it seems like the sort of race he'd win. Nope. Right. There's <clears throat> the last two. One of them is a fantastic climber, and the other one, a bit of a rogue one. Nairo. Nairo has won it twice, 2015-2017. Okay. So the last one, one the, tw the 2016 winner, yeah. is a <clears throat> very, very good bike rider, but you might not expect him to win this kind of race. Is he a sprinter? Uh, no. no, but he's certainly not an out-and-out -out climber. Um, Peter Sagan? <laughs> no, it was Greg Van Avermaet. Greg Van Avermaet won it. Yeah, well, he was in yellow at the. He was in yellow at the tour for a few days back in 2018. <clears throat> so uh, I know, but this is well. This links it in nicely to the next question because Tirreno Adriatico is a race that is often used as a warm-up for the climbers for the Grand Tours, the Giro specifically. And that is because of the mountains in the middle. So I would like to know which mountain range does the race cross spanning oh, no. central Italy? Right. Central. Well, my knowledge of Italian geography is horrific. Um, it, it basically doesn't really extend much beyond it. It looks like a boot. The Dolomites is somewhere. The Dolomites, I think, is in the north. The you're Dolomites nodding. are in the north. Right, you're nodding. Okay. Um, which means... What... Is it like an actual mountain range that people know, or is it just something that you know because you went there when you were seven? No, I think they're quite famous. Okay, right. It's going to be like more of an idiot now. No, Very got, similar to oh, um, some mountains in England. The... Dales, the Dales. No, it, <clears throat> no, it's the Apennines. The, the Apennines. Oh, Pennines. Yeah, very. So it sounds like Pennines. Yes. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. Okay. Nice. <clears throat> right. I wouldn't have got that. And they basically extend all the way down central Italy. You are correct that the Dolomites are in the north, and then you go further north, and you've got the 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 Alps, the really big mountains. So I got it right in a way. I'm sure you've heard of the Alps. Yeah, they're the ones in France, aren't they? Yeah, nice one. Okay, so the race 
finishes in the region of Marque, which is where I spend all my time. Uh, it's called Le Marque. And what is special about the name of this region? Is, is the region Adriatico? Is it, is it like the Adriatic region or something? It's on the coast. Um, okay. It's, it's Le Marque. Le Marque. How are you spelling that? This is quite a niche question, to be honest. Uh, it's two words, L-E and then M-A-R-C-H-E. Le Marque. What is... Is it partly French-speaking? No. Um, it's about it's about the name of the region specifically, not the region oh, okay. itself. Um, I don't know. It's the only region where the name is plural. Right, that is niche. <laughs> that is niche. No, but right, if you spend time there, that's what everyone says. You find, you you will know it straight away if you go. If anybody listening to this got the answer to that, please tweet us because I would love to know. If you understand this, I actually think we've got quite well, a few Italian I, listeners. So uh, I know for a fact that one person knows it because she lives there. <laughs> and your girlfriend doesn't count. Right. Um, now, finally, this is a, I've a, a multiple choice question to finish. Uh, oh, yeah. What happened to so, multiple choice on the last ones? Um, I could have. Did you want a. Mo- well, too late. Too now, late. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Last question five. I would have many I wanted so far. I got. I did well uh, on the naming the riders one. I think I got three you on got that Nibley, one. Not You named a few riders, um, but you I didn't get four. the Apennines or the plural. Okay. So the final stage of the race has been every year except the first year it was hosted in San Benedetto del Tronto, which is in the province of Ascoli. So what I would like to know: uh, Ascoli is a lovely city, Ascoli Piceno, but what food is it famous for? Is it A, fried olives, B, pesto, or C, tiramisu? Right, can we rewind a little bit? Fried olives, is that a thing? How does that work? Get an olive and fry it. Not like deep fried? Like a sort of, like fried mozzarella or something like that. It's very similar. You get like fried jalapenos and stuff as well. Uh, Okay, right. I'm thinking like deep fried, like battered Mars bar sort of thing. No, that's the Scott in you coming out. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fried olives. I don't know why you'd think of that as a normal answer. Or maybe you think of a weird one to throw me. Um, tiramisu. Uh, do you know what that means in Italian, by the way? Uh, I can, I've never actually read it, but I could guess right now. Yeah, go on. Sounds like throw me down something like that uh not really quite the opposite actually it okay. means pick me up and apparently okay there's something to do with the fact it contains alcohol that's a classic as you know defecting from the fact i do not know the answer so i'm trying to give other snippets of knowledge um what was the middle one pesto pesto boring answer it's not that tiramisu should have gone with fried olives ah oh. They're known as Olive Ascolane. And they're sort of, there's other stuff in there as well, like uh, maybe mushrooms or herbs, spices, whatever. Um, maybe not mushrooms. If the Italians have heard that, please don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> is it like a full dish or is it like a little starter? No, like a little just nibbles. Yeah. Ah, oh, like tapas. Like a croquetta with an olive in the middle. Okay, nice. Yeah. Right. Um, 
and they're really famous. Um, when I was there, like everywhere sells them. But uh, tiramisu, I, as of today, know comes from somewhere near Venice, sort of that region up there, uh, Veneto. And pesto, as everyone knows, should know, comes from Genoa, because every jar of pesto you get says pesto genovese on it. It does. Yeah. yeah. Um, this podcast has gone off on quite a strong tangent at the end here. Um, well, you gave me an opportunity to... Uh, you know, talk about Italy for 10 minutes. <laughs> it's wonderful. I think it'll get people in the mood for the racing. And, um, you know, these races are long, the stages are long. They're going to be admiring the scenery. And now they know exactly what goes on in those little villages that we're watching. No, when they're going, when the go- race goes through Askley, I think on the penultimate day, everyone will be thinking fried olives. I certainly will. Yeah. Um, Tom, where can people find us on social media? As always, they can find us and my misspelt tweets at TTPDCST, which is TT Podcast with all the vowels taken out. Wonderful. So we've got Torino Adriatico to look forward to. Not this weekend, weekend after the 20th, Milan San Remo, the first monument of the year, the first official monument of the year, not the one by TT Podcast Deed Poll. Um, <laughs> In the introduction to this podcast, you said that Strado Bianchi was the best Italian one-day race, and I didn't say anything. Yeah, I was envisaging that we'd have to record that a few times because I thought you'd start interjecting. It was good. No, um, good I've restraint until the end. Okay, right. I stand by it, and don't make well, me do another. I'm twi- forward to- don't make me do another Twitter poll. I won't make you do another Twitter poll, but when we come to the episode where we're previewing that race, I will be bigging it up quite a lot. Right. Especially after Mark Cavendish won it. Uh, Tom, as always, a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, Tom, we'll catch up again next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. And just very pleased that we've finally got just constant racing back underway. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.